Greetings and welcome back to another episode of the Project Red podcast. My name is Brian and as always, I am with my business partner and friend, James Strong. How are you doing, brother? I'm super good, thank you. How are things with you? Fantastic, mate. Fantastic. It's another lovely day in Guatemala. I know I say that every time I speak to you, but uh, it's the truth, I suppose. I mean, we're, we're getting some rain at night. It is raining now, but it's still beautiful. Um, today's guest, I'm very, very excited about. Our guest today is Chris Gethin. And uh, Chris is, uh, you might hear some, uh, uh, some steps, some noise every now and then. Chris is actually on his uh, walking treadmill desk right now. How are you, Chris? I am great. Thank you very much, brother. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. Awesome. Absolute pleasure. Chris is a, established himself as one of the most versatile fitness entrepreneurs in the industry. Now, as soon as I started reading this, I was like, I was blown away and even more impressed. I've been following you for a while now, Chris, and um, just reading through your bio, it's absolutely fantastic. And there's so much in here that I want to ask you about. So I'll just continue with it. Before founding Caged Muscle, Chris competed as a lifetime natural pro bodybuilder, placing as high as second place in the natural world championships. As a personal trainer, his clients have included Bollywood celebrities, billionaire businessmen, and champion athletes. In between, in between training clients, he has certified more than 800 personal trainers. And right now he is in the nutrition business. So Chris, there's so much to get in there. Uh, to get into there but can you give us a little bit of background of who you are where you've come from and how you've got to where you are right now yeah for sure so uh the uh the accent comes from wales i grew up in uh, wales up until uh, my mid-20s and uh, or early 20s i should say and uh i was racing motocross there uh for many years about 13 years and it wasn't until I succumbed to, you know, a, an accumulation of injuries that I decided to get into bodybuilding, which I stumbled across through the rehab that I was doing and resistance training. You know, all of a sudden I was alleviated of the pain that I was going through. So I thought, well, I'd prefer to have a life alleviated of pain. I'll get into bodybuilding instead. And uh, that helped me stay on track because life can be quite, an, you know, a white knuckle ride for me. I've got quite an addictive personality. And uh, when I finished motocross, I wasn't getting the euphoric feeling and the adrenaline rush. So I found it in drugs and alcohol and partying when the rage scene first came about in the UK. So uh, that's when I realized, okay, bodybuilding is going to be my route out of it. And, uh, you know, I started uh, following the, the bodybuilding lifestyle and went to college for three years to study uh, international health and sports therapy. And that was my ticket out of Wales at the time. And, uh, you know, I went to work on cruise liners for a while, then moved to Australia for like five years and uh, uh, did mobile personal training. I remember walking around in the morning, doing my cardio, getting ready for a bodybuilding show, but I would multitask. I'd have trifold leaflets and I'd put them through doors everywhere to offer my mobile personal training services. And that turned out quite successful. So after a few years of doing that, I uh, bought my first gym in Sydney, Australia. And then I wanted to reach out to more people and uh, I figured out the only way that I could do it, because it wasn't really anything such as internet back then, was through publication. So I bought Miriam Webster's, uh, I think it was a book on journalistic writing, and taught myself how to write and started 
publishing, having pieces of content published in magazines. And I really, really enjoyed that. So I decided to pack everything up and risk it all and move to Venice, California and uh, try to get a job with Weeder Publications, which is obviously, you know, Flex Magazine, Muscle and Fitness Shape. And after six months, I managed to get a contract uh, writing for that publication. And, you know, that's kind of how I come about to where I am in the U.S. today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So, so for the people that are listening, Chris is obviously, uh, like you just mentioned, is in the USA there, spent a little bit of time in Australia. So the first thing that strikes me there, which is something I'm, you know, particularly interested in besides the health stuff is the entrepreneurial spirit you seem to have, you know, just like the, that simple idea of, you know, on your, on your, that walk that you were taking to, to get to the bodybuilding show and then kind of handing out the flyers there as well. And is, this is something that seems to be running, uh, you know, as a, as a theme through your life right now, because am I right that you also spent a, a bit of time in India or is that later in the story? Yeah, that's right. So, um, I, I do try to multitask because I, I wake up with a spring in my step. I wake up very early in the morning because I grew up on a farm in Wales. And uh, it's funny, I had this conversation with my fiance this morning. She's like, how do you wake up with so much energy? And I'm like, it's, it's, I don't- What time do you wake up? I, between 4 and 5 a.m. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm in bed by 8.30. You know, I go to bed early. Uh, but the thing is, it's because I grew up on a farm and it wasn't as if- mm. You know, we woke up with energy. It's just you have to wake up and feed mm. the animals and do what you've mm. got to do because mm. there's a lot to do before you can get into the house in the evening and relax, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's, it's more of a necessity than everything. And I guess it's, it, you know, it's, it's so curious you say that. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's so yeah. curious you say that because you're, you're you know, you, so you're talking about waking up at between four and five in the morning. And that's super interesting to me because, first of all, that's what I do. That's what I've, I've been waking up at about 5, 5.30 every morning for a very, very long time. And my bedtimes are getting earlier and earlier. So like right now at, at 8 p.m., I'm looking around and I'm going, Jesus, late, man. I got to have my cold shower. I got to get my, you know, I've, everything is, is lit up in red light. So I think for me, and tell me if you disagree with it, I think when you go to sleep that early and you wake up that early, you do wake up with more energy. Because that's the ideal time that humans should be asleep. Yeah, if we think back to our ancestors, that's exactly right. You know, they're not going to be surrounded by artificial light and, uh, you know, TV monitors penetrating their retinas to keep them awake at night. They're going to lull themselves to sleep after dusk, after the campfire has gone out. And then they're going to wake up at the break of dawn. You know, they've got to go out and hunt and gather. And, you know, we live in a very different environment to what our ancestors did and you know i do try to combine you know the biohacking with ancestral Mm. wisdom i think that's part of the Mm. parcel and like you said if you have like what i've got uh, you know the incandescent uh light bulbs around you know you're not going to be penetrated with the artificial light so it's going to be easier for you to go to sleep where a lot of people have a lot of trouble with sleeping these days Mm -hmm. and you know that Sorry, James, you want to say something? I'll say, I'm listening to this story and I just feel very jealous. You're both getting a solid eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. I've got a young daughter at home who's eight months old and I'm lucky to get two hour blocks. And so, you know, similar to what you're saying about respecting the light and incandescent bulbs, I religiously wear my blue blockers before I go to bed and anytime I'm up, I always have red incandescent bulbs lighting all very low level and that seems to protect the sleep. But uh, gosh, yeah. eight hours. I can only dream right now. Look, something. Yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I get eight hours, but I try to work towards it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Something I just want to say, maybe James or, or even Chris, if you want to, is I like to, you know, when we on these podcasts, obviously this is kind of like a health biohacking podcast, but I always try and explain things that we're talking about. It can be very, very brief, but do one of you want to just explain about the artificial light and the blue light for those that don't know? Yeah, for sure. Of course. So, you know, with a lot of the artificial light that we have around us, if you think about, you know, car headlamps, you think about the lamps outside and not just in our houses. And then, you know, we have the monitors that we're you know, on our phone, our smartphones, our computers, our app, you know, iPads. Everything is penetrating us with this artificial light. So not only is it penetrating our retina, we obviously have photosynthesis on our skin so that, you know, I, I try to make sure a good couple of hours before bed, yeah, I'm blocking all the blue light, but I'm wearing long sleeve tops, long sleeve pants, because I don't want that photobiomodulation coming from artificial substances. Mm. I want the mm. natural. So, you know, I'll always block whatever I can. You know, I went out for dinner last night, so I have my blue light blocking glasses, and I'll do whatever I can to uh, set my circadian rhythm. And of mm. course, we, it's okay to have some blue lights in its natural substance from the sun during the day, but it's the restorative red light we want the majority of where we're mm. going to get at mm. sunrise and at mm. sunset. And of course, mm. if you cannot have access to that during the winter months here in Idaho, for instance, uh, I'm not going to. So that's when I biohack my environment and mm -hmm. have, you know, like the, the red light, light uh, rising panels in the morning because I know that's going to help set my circadian rhythm for the evening. And of course, I want to look after my face. I want the collagen production and all that sort of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. But the majority of us are penetrated with that artificial light. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the health and fitness industry. And I always tell my clients is that your performance are, are, is only dictated by your recovery. And if you're not able to release your natural melatonin levels at nighttime, mm -hmm. because the artificial light will subdue that, then you're not going to recover. You're not going to have as good of a night of sleep. Mm -hmm. You're going to be more in a sympathetic state throughout the day as opposed to parasympathetic. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it all goes hand in hand. I do get my clients to meditate, mm -hmm. practice, practice mindfulness, being <laughs> present, but optimizing their recovery through sleep. And the majority of people that I deal with today cannot sleep. And that's part of the yeah. reason why, because yeah. of the artificial light. And that's, I mean, it's, there's so much where we could, so many places we can go with that. But that's also something I'm so curious about with you is because, I mean, this is the second time we've spoken and obviously I follow you online. So I know that you're into all these biohacks, even though these biohacks, you know, they're, they're becoming more mainstream now because of people like you and some other big influences we have there. But if someone saw you, just a photo of you, they would say, you know, they would say um, bodybuilder, that's it. You know, he's taking a lot of protein, he's eating a lot and he's working out a lot. And how did you go? I mean, has it always been like that? Have you always been so conscious of these biohacks and these ancestral practices, even while you were focused on bodybuilding? No, I uh, stumbled across that by accident. So we were talking earlier that I, I was living in India. I uh, moved to India for a little while because I went there for a book release. I write books as well. And uh, I had a book release, this is going back in 2011, I believe it was. And um, there, was a, there was a person there who was a big Bollywood star who wanted a personal trainer to help him transform for this role, which was like a superhero uh, role. It's called Krish, Krish 3. 
And uh, it's kind of like a Superman sort of role. And this guy had ruptured a couple of discs in his back. He's definitely a foodie. He'd put on a lot of weight, basically. And my name came up a couple of times. And then when he got hold of my book, he reached out to me and asked if I'd transform him. So I went over there, gave him a consultation, realized the guy was serious. And I transformed him in, uh, I think we did it in 11 weeks. And that <laughs> hit like national headlines, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. because these guys over there are not actors. They're like gods. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then a lot of people wanted my services. I couldn't train everybody myself. So I started flying in uh, other personal trainers from the US and the UK that I know to help with a lot of these celebrities. And with that, I just realized over time that there's definitely a void in the fitness culture there. So that's when we started bringing in uh, gyms. But whilst I was, mm -hmm. you know, I got a gym franchise over there now in India. But whilst I was there, I got mold toxicity from the apartment that I was staying in, in Mumbai. And some people are sensitive to mold, some people aren't. Unfortunately, I, you know, I figured out the hard way that I was one of these people that was very sensitive to it. And it affected me so much that I was only sleeping about three hours a night. And you can imagine how that affected me during the day. I wasn't a good person to be around. And I did whatever I could to find out what was going wrong with me. I was taking every sleep medication you could think of, you know, from a supplemental standpoint. And then I went over to pharmaceutical medication to see if that would help. Nothing had helped until I came across this guy called Dr. Spanaug in a clinic uh, that he had a clinic in Oldsmar, Florida. And he helps a lot of people with Lyme's disease and mold toxicity. And uh, he did like 60 tests on me on the first day, did brain scan and uh, I was diagnosed with mold toxicity. So I stayed there for six weeks trying to detox myself. I would have been there six months if he had his way, but it's very expensive, you know? So I continued down that path with home remedies after that. And this is in 2014. So it's the past six years that I've really been into the biohacking side of things because mm. as a bodybuilder, sure, we do focus on eating rather healthy, but we're not really looking at organic and humane raised and making mm. sure the coffee mm. that we have doesn't have mitotoxins. And, you know, we don't really think about artificial light. And, you know, that's when I really started going down that rabbit hole as well, because sleep was something that I really needed to hack. And that's when I started quantifying everything like my sleep scores and my blood sugar levels. And, you know, I just went down that rabbit hole and yeah, it's an obsession, but it's a healthy obsession for me. And mm. I love it. And, you know, I get the opportunity to pass it on to other people. Mm. Do you find that, I mean, like you said, it's a healthy obsession. Now, in my experience now, going back to what we were talking earlier about going to bed at really early and waking up really early. I wanted to ask you at that point, I wanted to ask you, what about your social life? You know, and this ties in with your healthy obsession, because if you're healthily obsessed with biohacking, do you, do you never go out at night? Uh, no, I really don't. Uh, you know, I am trying to hack that side of my life as well because I've noticed the older that I get, the more recluse I become. And I've got a bit of a, an, an awareness now on social, uh, social media I've done for some years. And I had uh, a lot of content go out on bodybuilding.com. I, I was the editor-in-chief there for a while. And then I started putting out video content. So I would go to a lot of events and I just came back from one this weekend in Nashville. And, you know, you speak to a lot of people. A lot of people mm -hmm. do come up to you and say, hey, I followed this program of yours and it helped me in this way. And I love that. I'm humbled mm -hmm. by it. But, um, you know, I, I have a hard time dealing with it. So I've become quite a recluse, you know, after mm -hmm. something like that. 
when all the other people and athletes all go out for dinner together, I'm the person that goes back to mm. my hotel or room or go mm. to the gym. Uh, but I realize, uh, you know, studying the blue zones, uh, the, you know, one of the big connectors of all those people uh, that are living to 100 years and older have good social connections, connections with their family. My family aren't here, they're in Wales. So I'm forcing myself now uh, to a certain degree to be a little bit more sociable. Uh, mm -hmm. So, for, uh, but it doesn't mean going out at night and partying. So now, for instance, on a weekend, on a Saturday when I'm not traveling, I'll have what's called a Wolfpack workout where I'll invite some friends around. We'll train in my garage downstairs. We'll do circuits, you know, slam balls, flipping a tire in the street. Um, mm -hmm. And then we'll follow that up with an ice bath and a sauna and a shake. You know, mm. so that's my form mm. of social interaction mm. now. But I'm not, I, I'm much, I'm much more of a homebody. I do mm. travel a bit, but I've got so much work to do and that just keeps me occupied. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, that's interesting because I also was kind of uh, interested to hear that, that you seem to do uh, a somewhat functional workout as well. Do you, do you still describe yourself as a bodybuilder or? I'd say, I'd probably because I'd say, you know, I, I train five days a week like a bodybuilder. I do do a lot more reps than a typical bodybuilder. It just works for me. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just came from the garage this morning where I did like kettlebell workouts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I change things up all the time. I've always been one of those people that does cardio twice a day. I love cardio. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll either go for a run because I compete in Ironman triathlon. So I need to keep my running up. So I'll run with the dog or I'll swim or cycle. Uh, or I've got, you know, my garage fitted out downstairs where, you know, I'll do a lot of functional work. So as of next week for the next eight weeks, I'm going to be training from home just exclusively, not even going to the gym. You know, I just need some dumbbells, kettlebells and, uh, you know, and some, a slam ball and tire and a punch bag and I'm good. What That's about amazing. a sandbag? Sorry, James. <laughs> Right. Um, you describe yourself before as a hybrid athlete, and I think that's, that sums you up really well. You see, you've come up from this bodybuilding background. You've just touched on your Ironman sort of exploits as well, and I feel you've done some ultra marathons as well. Yeah. I mean, how do you combine that training and you know, not only the training, the recovery? I mean, when you're training, when you're moving your must, much muscle mass over you know, 24 miles and things and the bike ride and everything like that, how do you, you know, train and recover for those sort of events? Stem cells. <laughs> Double the dose of stem cells. Now, uh, like I don't train like a typical uh, triathlete or endurance athlete. So, you know, if I'm doing cardio during the week, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go for a two hour run. My run will be like 45 minutes. I'll do a lot of uh, interval work in there. So I'll do some hill sprints. Yeah. I'll do some skips. I'll do, you know, all sorts of stuff. And that, that, that goes the same for the swimming. It's only on the weekends that I go long and slow. So on a weekend, I make it up exceptionally early and I'll go for a hundred mile bike ride, but I'll be home by midday. So I've mm -hmm. still got the afternoon ahead of me. And then I may go for a longer run on the, on the Sunday because those are my non weight training days. I don't weight train on those days. So then providing that my heart rate variability is in a good, good state, then I'll go for a, a long run or a long ride. But my workouts as well, my weight training workouts never really go further than 45 to 60 minutes max on a larger, a larger uh, uh, day. But, you know, I optimize my recovery with my sleep. I've taken, you know, I drink hydrogen-rich water. I'm taking this C60, carbon C60. There's a lot of things that I do to hack myself. And I think, you know, the biggest form of it is coming through 
what doing whatever you can to be in a parasympathetic state all day, trying to manage your stress, trying to meditate. When I'm eating my meal, I'm not distracted. I'm not on my phone. I'm not scrolling. I'm not listening or reading. You know, I'm always mm. trying to put myself into a calm state because I know those acute bursts in the gym or downstairs in a garage is stressful enough. So, uh, you know, luckily I quantify a lot and like, you know, I'm on a treadmill right now. I've always found that the better the blood supply around my body, I'm removing myself of lactic acid, I'm supplying oxygen and nutrient rich blood mm -hmm. around the localized areas that I'm training, I'm able to recover more. I've noticed if I don't do cardio on a daily basis, I can only train three to four times a week with weights because I can't recover. However, if I do cardio every day and be mindful of that cardio, then I can train five days a week with weights, no problem, and recover. That's brilliant. I mean, you're putting out a huge volume of training, and to retain that muscle mass in things, how are you fueling your body for that and ensuring you're getting appropriate protein intake and things like that? Is that a, a sort of a key consideration for you? Yeah, but in all reality, it's so strange. I eat half the amount of food now that I used to because I'm eating more quality food. Mm. You know, I am partitioning my nutrition. I'm focusing on just humane raised, organic, you know, GMO free. You know, I'm not having anything covered in glyphosate, but I'm also taking a lot of digestive enzymes with those meals as well to assume mm. that I'm assimilating them. You know, it's not, mm. I always tell people it's not how much you eat, it's how much you absorb. And I mm. think when you're in that parasympathetic state whilst you're eating, that's another form of enhanced digestion, making sure that you're chewing your food, you're mindful. And you know, there's, a, there's a lot for the way that you talk about yourself. So if I say to myself, what well, before I eat that meal, this is gonna nourish me, this is going to fulfill me, it's gonna give me everything that I need in order to recover and perform. And then all of a sudden you finish that meal and you're like, yeah, I'm fulfilled. Whereas in the past, I'd be looking around after I've eaten and thinking, what else can I eat? You know, and uh, I think that, you know, there's, there's a, a female called Marissa Peer in the UK. And uh, she she's a hypnotherapist. She's got some great books, a phenomenal book that uh, I'm reading now all about how to live longer. But I'm not necessarily taking the words that she has said in order to live longer. I'm taking the words that she prescribes to change my way of thinking. Because, you know, if we're the kind of people that say, you know what, I can't stay up late. Uh, I'm getting too old, we're going to start feeling older because mm -hmm. subconsciously we're telling ourselves that instead of saying, well, I got to get up really early in the morning. So I'm going to go to bed ease, uh, earlier. That is a better way of talking to yourself mm -hmm. because you know, your beliefs become the events in your life. Mm. That's absolutely spot on. And um, you mentioned something there, which, you know, we all know what it means, but for those that don't, can you go into briefly uh, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system and what it is and why it's important for recovery and health? Yeah, just, just for a simplistic, uh, logical answer to that, because I can't give you anything scientific. But if we're in a uh, parasympathetic state, that is a state where we're going to be more relaxed, more mm -hmm. chilled out, and we're going to be in a better state of recover, recovery, digestion, performance, and then if we're in that sympathetic state, then we're a little bit more highly strung. We'll be a little bit more stressed. Our cortisol levels are a little bit mm -hmm. higher. Um, you know, it's not going to be the perfect place to recover and perform. 
And one of the things that I really like for this uh, that I do every morning is I have my ice bath. Uh, I have an ice bath. I'll have my infrared sauna first, and I usually follow that with cold. And that really helps tone the vagus nerve. And that vagus nerve mm. puts you in that fight or flight response. Like mm. I, I do measure my blood sugar levels and I notice that it really does help stabilize my blood sugar levels for the day. But more than anything, it stabilizes my fight or flight response. And it puts mm. me in a better parasympath parasympathetic state for the rest of the day. So I'm quite an edgy person and I just find I'm so much more calm after doing uh, an ice bath in the morning. You don't have to do an ice bath, of course. You can have a shower, cold shower, but you know it's very, very important that you get the cold on the back of your neck, on the mm. front of your neck, mm. you know, so you submerge yourself. That's because I'm a big fan of the cold as well. And I think you mentioned there about your, your blood sugar levels and a lot of research actually demonstrates that by having cold exposure in the morning, it really does plateau your, your blood sugar levels and allows your body to be more responsive to, to process that sugar. And so it's a great protocol to have for anyone just as a healthy you know, approach to the day, some cold exposure in the morning. Yeah, I get every single one of my clients to do it as much as they hate it and kick and scream about it. I get them all to do it because the majority of people out there that come to me want to mobilize their fatty acids as well. So, you know, it's, it's a great, simple, free hack. Mm. Awesome. And um, so another great way I like to think of it, and I like to say to people, you know, about the, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, and that other phrase that we've used, the ancestral lifestyle practices, is these, both these nervous systems, both, the, both of these processes are very important. The sympathetic nervous system is like you say, is the fight or flight. That's when you get that adrenaline. That's when you get that cortisol. That's when your pupils dilate. Like you, you, you get way more alert and you get ready to fight or to run for your life um, or to work very hard. And, and we replicate that within the gyms. You know, that can be one way you can replicate that fight or flight. You can work really, really hard and you force your body to grow. And the other side of that in the ancestral sense, the parasympathetic, that's, that's a state that your body gets into when it knows it's very, very relaxed. It knows there's no danger. You're safe. And when your body feels safe, that's when the healing and the repair happens. So that's just a, another metaphor I'd like to drop in there. Um, do, you, do you label your diet? How do you, what kind of diet are you eating? No, I don't label it because I change it all the time. So sometimes I'll go carnivore for four weeks. So I'd say it's probably like a hormetic diet because I'm always changing it up. Uh, so, you know, I'll do carnivore for four weeks. I'll go vegan plant-based for four weeks. I'll go keto for four weeks. I like to do things in four-week cycles uh, because mm -hmm. it's just interesting to me. It keeps me on the edge. You know, I, I'm always, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I always, I always say knowledge without mileage is bullshit. So I need to try things out before I mm. you know, pass it on to other people. But, you know, I've done keto for eight months. I've done five-day fasts. Um, you know, I do fast a couple of times a week, usually on my non-training days. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll do what's called a controlled fast. So I'm not going to take any branched-chain amino acids during that time because the leucine in there will activate the mTOR pathways. But I'll have mm -hmm. some, some essential amino acids and I'll have some glutamine and creatine during my fast because mm. I have to think I'm not like the average person. I am training hard. I mm. don't want to go into a catabolic environment, but I still mm. want to signal a little bit of autophagy in there. So mm. I'll take some supplements as well that will help. 
with autophagy. I'll have like some gymnema sylvestre. I'll have some berberine, chromate, things like that uh, during my fasting window as well. Um, but, you know, I'm about to go into a six week, uh, sorry, a 60 day kind of shred diet that I'm putting uh, a lot of my followers through. So that will change. That will be more of a typical bodybuilder diet because I need to get as lean as possible, but retain as much muscle as possible mm. and still perform. So, you know, that's going to be the typical like 40, 40, 20. So 40 protein, 40% carbs and 20% fats. Uh, but like I said, everything is with digestive enzymes. Mm. I'm making sure it's organic and, you know, hydrating with at least a gallon a day. And some people may need more dependence in the climate. You know, if you're in Guatemala, maybe you're going to need more. Uh, making sure that the fluid is enhanced with, you know, my essential amino acids, mm -hmm. you know, that I have only from fermented forms. You know, I'll always make sure that my amino acids come from fermented forms because in the supplement industry, you'd be surprised where they're extracted from. Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, that's something I kind of think about a lot is when you, you know you're in the supplement industry, I'm not. But I always, at, at first I thought like, how can one, one, sh one business sell whatever, a protein powder for this X amount, but then Holland and Barrett or Boots or whoever else is selling a protein supplement for a fraction of the price. And then, yeah. you, know, then you realize that it's because they're, they're obviously, I mean, you know, is they're, 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 they're cutting the product. They're filling it up with something. So there's less of the good stuff and way more filler in there, or it's just the completely wrong form. It's the cheap form and it's very, very poor. So you know, that's just a little nugget there for uh, anybody who's into, into supplements and all that. Um, what about, you said you wrote, you wrote some books. What kind of books, fact or fiction? Uh, a little bit of both. So I, I have put out a graphic novel. I, I uh, published a graphic novel a while back. I think I've done about seven books now, from what I recall. I've self-published a few books. Uh, my most recent book was called Man of Iron, and that's mm -hmm. basically teaching people how to be a hybrid athlete. Because, you know, I have a lot of people saying, well, I used to do endurance sports, but I wanted to take up bodybuilding, so I gave up on that, and then vice versa. So this book was to teach people how to do both, you know, because I love participating in both. Will you exceed in both? Maybe not, but, you know, if you want to do pretty good and enjoy it, mm. then you, you still can do it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I put out a, a book. My first book was uh, called um, uh, Body by Design. And then later it was A Guide to Your Best Body, which is like a transformational book. And uh, I, I even did one for India called Bollywood Body by Design because I would tell the Indians all the time, you have to eat this way. And mm. they would be like, but we can't because we eat Indianized food. And I'd yeah, turn around yeah. and say, well, you can't eat Indianized food, but it, it never worked. So I had to compromise and come up with the, uh, you know, Indianized diet and vegan foods in order for them to participate and enjoy it because mm. you know, it definitely is a foodie culture. And I've had you know, a couple of others, like during that time when I was in India and I was on little sleep, I was in you know, some dark places. So I wrote some kind of, hardcore motivational books uh, uh, a book that would that you'd read before you'd go to the gym you know so uh, that was kind of a, a form of therapy for me at the time so I've written a, a little bit of everything I'd say that's so interesting 
one thing I've enjoyed about your, your social media and your feed is, is your transformations. And I know you've got something called the dramatic transformation principle, and you've just touched on your, your get shredded kind of protocol that, you know, you're putting your followers through, you know, what else you took, we've talked about recovery and sleep being foundations for part of your principles, but what else would make up your core components? Uh, core to components. See these- yeah, for me, it's definitely volume. So I like to, you know, touch on what's called sarcoplasmic hypotrophy and myofibular hypotrophy. Sarcoplasmic, you know, sarcoplasm in your body is made up of fluid with ATP, you know, all sorts. And that is gonna come from swelling, stretching the fascia of the muscle. So that's gonna come through high repetitions and very low rest periods. So let's say if you're doing a barbell curl, it could be 50 repetitions to absolute failure. And then your next set would be a little bit heavier with, you know, maybe 40 repetitions to failure, but you're only resting for about 40 seconds between those sets. So it's very painful. It hurts. <laughs> However, the chance of injury is very, very low because of the amount of weight that you're using. And then as we go down the repetition, so let's say we're doing five repetitions or 10 repetitions or 15 repetitions, that's what's myofibular hypotrophy. But now we're resting a lot longer between the sets, maybe about three minutes, because we have to wait for our ATP to replenish itself. Whereas the high repetitions, we're just, it's, it's glycolytic. We're waiting for glycogen to resupply. And if you're you know, taking in plenty of carbohydrates, you're fine, you can do that. So I like to attack both. And that's what's called DTP, dramatic transformation principle, all in one workout. And maybe it's just a couple of different exercises. So for biceps, it could be barbell and barbell and that's it. But you're just doing 10 sets with barbell, you know, Mm -hmm. and then with chest, for instance, it could be incline press and then decline flies. And that's Mm -hmm. it, you know, so it's very simplistic. If you're, you know, staying in a hotel and uh, you know, you don't have much equipment or you're just training in in your home, then it's kind of perfect for that. And uh, it, you know, targets your fast twitch muscle fibers, your slow twitch muscle fibers, you know, so, you know, it hits you from all angles, but you know, you really, really do have to optimize your recovery in order to do that consistently. Absolutely. Does time and attention form any part of your protocol? No, not really. You know, I'll do sometimes on, on negatives, uh, but it all depends on who I'm training. You know, if I'm training someone individually, I usually train them very different to how I train because I train, I'd say some people could call it a little bit more ballistic but it kind of suits my character. When I go into the gym, I'm very aggressive. So it just suits the way that I like to train and I feel it. You know, if someone looks at it, they think it's kind of a bit sloppy, but the next day I feel it exactly where Mm. I was targeting. And I've trained very, very slow and time under tension. And the one time that I did that was in Wales when when I was filming a video series called Four Weeks to Shred. On the very second day of filming, on the reverse hammer row, I tore my lat. So I vowed then, okay, I'm never mm. going to train slow and strict like that again because it just does not suit me. Mm. That's funny. And it's, it's ironic that obviously the, one of your first sort of opening sentences was you went to bodybuilding because you didn't want to feel pain. And all I can think about is doing 50 reps of curls. You're going to be feeling a bit, of a bit of a pain there. Yeah, well, it's a therapeutic, isn't it? I think, you know, you, there's a lot of people that deal with depression, anxiety or whatever in life and they're able to release it in the gym. So maybe mm. the pain that they're experiencing is outside of the gym, but you know, it's their therapy within it. That's why I do it personally. That's uh, incredible there. Eh? Um, so 
yeah, so one thing, I'm, I'm conscious of time right now, but uh, one thing I wanted to speak to you about, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times biohacks and some of the tech you've got. Um, is there anything uh, that you've got that's maybe new on the scene or super interesting that you'd like to tell us about? Uh, nothing really new on the scene that I can see that's coming down the pipeline. Obviously, we're seeing new forms of testing for, you know, our gut microbiome or uh, mm. biological age testing. So I'm sure you guys are aware of glycan age. Like I've mm -hmm. tested my telomeres uh, every year for the past like five years now. And glycan age is a new one that I really, really like. So I get tested by those guys now. My, probably one of the reasons why I like them is that my most recent test came in as my biological age being 25, even though I'm 46 years old. So it's been wow. coming down year after year. And uh, I'm actually going to be doing a pilot study with those guys now because everybody that they test in the athletic world, and they do a lot of professional athletes and, you know, the Croatian soccer team and whatnot, that their biological age usually increases with the more stress that they put upon their body. So they want to find out what I'm doing with myself and mm -hmm. my clients in order to bring the biological age. So we're actually in the middle of a, a pilot study uh, right now. The other thing that I just really like to touch on is that, yeah, I, I have had stem cells and I just think that's the, the future is going to be more and more in stem cells. You know, the more that, you know, the legislation will allow it to become more efficacious, especially in countries like the US and the UK. Definitely the future there because I flew to Colombia for mine so I could have more of an efficacious dosage of the mm. stem cells. And I had it everywhere that I know I'm undergoing wear and tear, my knees for sure, like the last Ironman that I did, I couldn't train, I couldn't run for the four weeks leading to it because I had major swelling of my knee. And uh, so I thought, well, I either pull out or not run for the last four weeks and see if I'm able to do this. And I had to stop at every aid station to mm -hmm. ice my knee. I did still get a half decent time but it wasn't, I knew that I'm going to damage myself so much more if I continue down this path. So that's when I bit the bullet, went to Columbia, had stem cells and touch wood. I felt phenomenal since, you know, it took about six months for it to fully uh, you know, kick in. But yeah. ever since I had it in my elbows, my shoulders, my knees, and then I had the IV, it's been phenomenal. And uh, I only wish that so many more people could experience this instead of experience a life in discomfort or pain or, having to go for surgery where they may not have to. But can, do you, why are stem cells so controversial if they're so good? Well, I think it's controversial in, in countries like uh, the US and the UK. Maybe it's because of financial reasons. The government want mm -hmm. to get more out of it. And uh, I think because, you know, it, it all depends where those stem cells are coming from. You know, they, they frown upon the umbilical and core blood form of it you know so uh mm. yeah, and harvesting it you know harvesting it over a certain amount of time where I, I believe in the u.s it's only like 24 hours where you're gonna have it harvested for a lot longer in some other countries i was just about to ask what form did you have and did they extract it from your bone marrow or what was the you know, no 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 it, color it, on that? it was umbilical from a donor so you know okay. umbilical donor because at 46 years old uh, my stem cells are probably going to be pretty useless uh, however, from uh, a baby, then we know the stem cells are that much more efficacious mm -hmm. and that they, they recover. You know, a baby bruises within mm -hmm. 24 hours, that bruise is gone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as we get a little bit older, we don't recover quite as fast. So those stem cells will obviously proliferate and localize that area where it's needed. And mm -hmm. I definitely needed it in localized areas on my body. And that's where they've gone. And 
you know, proliferated and uh, re recovered, you know, touch wood. So that's something that I aim to do once mm. every three years or so for mm. preventative purposes. I'm going to do that next year, actually. So I'll, I'll talk to you offline about you going to Colombia. I heard Mexico is also a good place to get stem cells. Is that right? Do you know anything about that? Well, there's a place, there's a couple of places. So Panama is uh, Panama. very good, but you're going to, you're going to pay a little bit more there. Like I yeah. spoke to doctors in Russia as well. Uh, but I knew of some people that had gone to this place in Colombia and they were athletes. And uh, so that's why I went there. And I still speak to those people now. And I've since sent some uh, clients, including Bollywood clients there, uh, because cool. they were dealing with issues and they're no longer dealing with the issues that they thought they may need surgery for. Awesome. Awesome. I'll definitely get that off you. Um, we're kind of uh, moving towards the end, unfortunately. I know I've got about 150 million questions I could still ask you, Chris. Um, so the one question I'm going to ask you is, will you come back on the podcast in a couple of months? Of course. Definitely. Awesome. Count me then we the can best. carry on. Awesome. Awesome. Well, then, well, we'll, maybe we'll do it pretty soon then. Um, so we've got the last little segment we've got is like a little quick fire round. I'll just ask you a couple of questions and whatever comes to your head, we can chat about that. Um, and then we do... We have been finishing the podcast with a reading of a page from the Daily Stoic. And you're probably familiar with Stoicism, I'd imagine. Yeah. Of course you are. Okay, brilliant. So we'll do that. And if you've got anything to say about that, we'll have a little chat about that. And then we'll wish you good luck. Um, first question is, what is your favorite book or a book that you recommend people read? My good to great. Good to great. Okay. And that's a... Uh, business book is it yeah it's like a business self-help book you know you see why a lot of companies went from good to great when there was yeah. other companies we thought would be great they were huge mm -hmm. but they didn't make it and uh these authors have kind of studied all these businesses it's fascinating cool definitely i'll put that onto my list then uh question number two your best or favorite piece of technological equipment whatever that might be um, I'd, this is going to sound very biased, my red light rising, because I have it every, morning, every night. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much for saying that, but you have to give another one. Give one, okay, give one that infrared sauna, because I use that every day as well, my clear Beautiful. light infrared sauna. Awesome. We love those too. Um, and then uh, what about your best or favorite hat? Some kind of a weird activity that you do that brings you joy. <laughs> okay. uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me change. Let me change the way I phrase that. Something yeah, that you enjoy. Yeah, maybe we won't go with the coffee enema on that one then. Okay. But I'd say you know it's 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 uh, it's a maybe it's boring to some, but it's, it's sitting outside, earthing myself whilst I'm having my coffee in the morning. And uh, if the sun rises out there, great, even better. But you know that's my form of my three M's that I start my day with. That's meditation, mindfulness, and manifestation. Beautiful. I love that. Um, and I what I love about that is it's, it's so simple to get outside in the natural light and to get in touch with the natural earth, but it's so profound. It's, you know, yeah. it's like it's, when you tell people to do it, it's really good for you. They're like, yeah, 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 sure. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's free. If, it, if they paid for it, they'd do it. Yeah, exactly. Start selling earth soon. Handfuls yeah. of earth for your apartment. Um, and if you could go back to your younger self, you've had such a journey but if you could go back to your younger self and just give yourself one piece of advice. Stay more present. Be more present. 
because I feel like I look back on my life, I feel there was so much missed there because I was always worrying about the future and thinking about the past and not being present. Beautiful. Thank you so much. That's the, the little fire round over. I will uh, have a quick reading from the Daily Stoic. And for those that don't know, uh, it's the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday and Stephen Hanselman. The idea is that uh, every page has a date and you just turn to whatever date it is. And there's a little Stoic passage there. Stoic philosophy really, really helped me uh, when I was going through difficult times. It's very practical. It's very simple. It's very useful. And it stood the test of time. So I thought it would be enjoyable for people to hear. Today's page is called The Most Secure Fortress. Remember that your ruling reason becomes unconquerable when it rallies and relies on itself so that it won't do anything contrary to its own will, even if it's in if its position is irrational. How much more unconquerable if its judgments are careful and made rationally? Therefore, the mind freed from passions is an impenetrable fortress, a person who has no more secure place of refuge for all time. That was Marcus Aurelius. Bruce Lee once made an interesting claim. I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. When we repeat an action so often, it becomes unconscious behavior. We can default to it without thinking. Training in the martial arts or combat is a deeply thoughtful study of movement. We sometimes think of soldiers as automatons, but what they've actually built is a steady pattern of unconscious behaviors. Any of us can build these. When Marcus says that a mind can get to a place where it won't do anything contrary to its own will, even if its position is irrational, what he means is that the proper training can change your default habits. Train yourself to give up anger and you won't be angry at every fresh slight. Train yourself to avoid gossip and you won't get pulled into it. Train yourself on any habit and you'll be able to unconsciously go to that habit in trying times. Think about behaviors which you'd like to be able to put on default if you can. How many of them have you practiced only once? So, I mean, I think that's pretty clear to all of us, you know, at least on this call. It's if you want to change something, you got to do it over and over and over until it becomes natural. Yeah, it's the consistency and persistence and doing things on the days that you don't want to do it and getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. 100%. Love that. Okay, boys, thank you so much, Chris. That I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and I know it's, uh, I think we're going to have a, a good handful of podcasts together. I think it'll be fun. So thank you so much for making the time to join us. Um, one thing we didn't get to is your supplement company, but we will put all the links in the bios for anybody that wants to look at it. And next time we come on, I actually do. I've got a bunch of questions about that anyway, but we'll get to that. For sure. Well, thank you very much, guys. I really, really appreciate it. And it was a lot of fun. Can't wait to do it again. Awesome. Thanks, guys.